In our Cajun culture, there are two roles that most of us in this church have probably fulfilled at some point. And these two roles are the most prideful roles ever. These are the two people that we come across most of the time, the people that do these things, that tend to believe that their way of doing it is the only way of doing it, and, kind of in the back of their mind, most of the time believe that I'm the best at doing these things. The two things. The first one are fishermen. First of all, fishermen are a bunch of liars most of the time. Fishermen are like gamblers. You only hear about the wins, you only hear about the goods, but you don't hear anything about the losses, right? Fishermen know the best bait, the best lure, the best string, the best rod, the best reel, the best place, the best time of day when the moon's perfect or whenever the wind is calm, right? Fishermen know what they know and don't challenge them. Because they're always right. They're never wrong. And if you challenge them, be prepared. Now, I got a feeling that 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 probably relates to some people, or some people might know those people, or some people might be married to those people and might have just jabbed him in in the ribs, and that's okay. That's all right today. The second one, the second role that is a prideful role in our culture, and i got a feeling more of us probably fit into this one, are cooks. And everybody's, oh, okay. (laughs) Cooks. Because every single one of us know the proper way to make a gumbo. And I guarantee you right now, if if I ask you to raise your hand and tell me who the best gumbo you ever heard, ever tasted, like who was the chef of the best gumbo that you ever tasted, we're going to have a ton of different answers, right? Unless it's like mom and then like all the kids are here. That's different. But most of us know the person that makes the best gumbo, and I dare you to challenge that my grandma makes the best gumbo, right? There's There's a way in which they know how to make it. But if someone comes in... The, the, the quickest way to get slapped at your grandma's house or to have my dad give you a right hook is to walk over, look over a pot of jambalaya or a pot of gumbo and say, hmm, I wouldn't do that. Most of the time that will give you an evil eye. If you say something else, you'll get a word. And if you say something else, corporal punishment right across the head, right? We'll skip all those steps if you walk up and you decide, hmm, needs Tony's and just pour some in. <laughs> that's not the way to do it. That's not a way. You don't touch somebody else's pot. You don't touch somebody else's recipe because they know what they're doing and they're going to do it right. Now, why am I using this image? Why am I, think, why am I thinking this way? Is because today, Simon, who will become known as Peter, but Simon is a professional fisherman. And I got to believe that where he is today in this gospel he probably has, he's wondering, who in the heck does Jesus think he is? Let's play it out from Simon's perspective. Simon, they've been out on the boat, him and his brother Andrew, James and John, their partner, the two boats, they've been out all night dragging their nets fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Working all night, and tonight was one of those, uh, one of those times that we're not going to talk about as a fisherman, right? Right? This is one of those, they came up empty, they're frustrated, they're aggravated, 
the sun's coming up, the, day, the, the evening is over, it's time to come in, clean up, and go to bed. And as they come closer to the shore, what do they see? They see piles of people on the coast. Everybody looking their way. And as they get closer, they can make out a, a single figure who's right up against the water's edge, trying to talk to everybody, and his back is to everyone else. It's Jesus. They pull up their boats. They start cleaning up their stuff. They start unloading. And Jesus walks over to Simon and says, Simon, or can you do me a favor? Can, you put, can we get in your boat? Can we back up a little bit? So then I can see more people. I can speak to more people. They can see me. And my voice will echo over the still water. Simon agrees. And he brings him out. And Jesus preaches. And shares the message of the Gospel. Shares the teachings. And then he turns his attention to Simon. And tells him, put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon would have known Jesus. He would have at least known of Jesus. He may not have had a conversation with him, but this area of the Middle East, this area of the Mediterranean, was not that big. This area, there was a lot of smaller towns. People kind of knew each other. And if piles and piles of people were pressing in and following Jesus, going from town to town to town to town, and doing these miracles and giving these teachings, by now, Simon would have heard of Jesus before. And one of the things Simon would have heard of Jesus is that Jesus was a carpenter. And him, Simon, as a fisherman, I have to believe when Jesus says, go out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch, that Simon probably looked at Jesus and said, what the heck does a carpenter know about fishing? I do this for a living. This is my livelihood. I have done this forever. So whenever we hear this line from Simon in the Gospel, where he says, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing, I feel like there's got a lot of frustration behind that. Basically saying, who are you to tell me to go out into deep water, to try and coach me on fishing? Especially if Simon is Cajun, like I think he is. Especially if he just had a bad night fishing and been up all night, and just wants to go home. But there's something in this exchange that invites Simon to listen. But at your command, I will lower my nets. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're frustrated with somebody, and then like you make eye contact, and then all of a sudden it's like, Exhale. Calm down for a second. And okay, let's listen. You might be angry, you might be upset, you might be fighting, you might just be in a bad mood. And you realize, like mid sentence, you're taking it out on this person, you just stop yourself, and you have like this moment of just kind of calm. Okay, listen. I feel like that's one of the kind of things that Simon would have been super frustrated for the beginning and then him and Jesus' eyes connect and there's something about Jesus looking at Simon that says, we've been doing this all night, but, but I guess I'll listen. There's something different 
about this. And then we know the rest of the story. Simon goes out. James and John have to come too. They have so many fish that both boats are in danger of sinking. And they head back to the, they head back to the shore. It's probably a fisherman's story as well. You know, the fish was this big, not quite this big. But they pull in this huge haul of fish. What happened in that gaze between Simon and Jesus? What happened whenever their eyes locked? You see, I think when Jesus looked at Simon, Jesus was able to see past Simon the fisherman. He was able to see past the way in which Simon had been, had been defining himself. The job that he carried. Simon the fisherman. And when Jesus looks at Simon and their eyes lock and this gaze pierces beyond that, Jesus does not see Simon the fisherman who can't catch fish. He does not see Simon the fisherman. Instead, he sees beyond and he sees Peter who Simon would become. He sees Peter, who Simon is destined to be if he only listens, if he only opens up his heart, if he only lets the Holy Spirit take take control of his life, that Peter would go from being Simon the fisherman and just happy and kind of on the coast and kind of doing his thing and kind of catching fish sometimes but not always and kind of, you know, like trying to live his best life and that's about it. And he sees Peter, who would become the Pope. He would see Peter, who becomes the chief apostle. Peter, who would give a homily a few, a few chapters later in the Scriptures that would convert 5,000 people. Peter, the Pope. No longer Simon, the fisherman. I think we do this, whether we realize it or not. I think we can find ourselves sometimes finding our identity in a job or in a role or in something we do. And like Simon, we can sell ourselves short. I remember uh, when I was in high school, um, freshman year, sophomore year of high school, played baseball. Y'all know I love baseball. I still like sports. Um, I played baseball freshman and sophomore year of high school. Going into my junior year, we had a lot of guys that were juniors. Um, and going into my junior year, I got cut. And I remember when I, for two months, I was coming to grips with the idea that I was no longer a baseball player. Because for me, Simon the Fishman, John David the baseball player. Internally, that's who I was defining myself as. And when that went away, the question that quickly followed was, well, if I'm not that, then who am I? I think we can see this kind of thing happen, where if you've ever lost a job, which is a tragedy, it's hard. But we can put so much emphasis into our job or into our role, and then all of a sudden, it goes away. And there's kind of a, it's kind of a sobering moment. Because there's a death and I don't know who I am anymore. We can see this kind of thing where we take our identity in things of this world. 
But in reality, what God wants, God wants us to not take our identity in anything of this world because it's all passing. Every single thing we could possibly do, it's passing. It's going to end at some point or another. The only thing that is eternal is the identity that we are handed at our baptism. Where God adopts us as one of His. That's the identity that we're called to live out of. That's the way in which we're called to define ourselves. And if we do, it changes the way we approach everything and everybody for always. In the church, I know I've, I've used these stats before, but it's two stats that I think are just very, I think today can be kind of pertinent. Um, the first stat is uh, three quarters of Catholics in the, that, that come to church, that are in the pews, do not believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. Do not believe that Jesus Christ is present under the veil of bread and wine here at Mass in a few minutes. Now, I know Gaines is very, very different, so no one here has that misunderstanding. But three quarters of Catholics in the United States today that are going to Mass do not believe that Jesus steps down to meet them on the altar. The second stat, and this has been something that has been tested now for about eight to ten years, the largest growing denomination of Christians in the Christian church, Christian religion today, Protestants and Catholics, the largest growing group over the last about decade has been the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, no affiliation. Now, might be some kind of skepticism about organized religion. That might be some kind of skepticism or hurt that comes from the Catholic Church. That might come from the, the, the scandal that the church has been embroiled in for a long time now, and it is an absolute travesty. But the largest growing denomination of Christians are no affiliation. Basically saying, I like Jesus, he had some good stuff to say, but I don't need a church to tell me what to do. Now why do I bring those two stats up? I think, while there are a lot of reasons that there could be for someone not believing in the Eucharist because of bad education, bad formation, whatever it is, so there could be a lot of reasons why people don't want to don't plug into a, a, an organized church. There can be a lot of reasons for scandal that have been 20 years worth that we can look back at. I truly believe the deeper thing under that is that most people that call themselves Christian have not had a moment like Simon did in his boat where he and Christ's eyes locked. Where they have seen Christ and they are seen by Christ. That they come not to understand themselves anymore as a name, and a thing they do, but instead they, 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 they think themselves there instead of a name and a beloved child of God. You and I, our role in the church is to be the gaze of Christ to the rest of the world. But Father, I can't do that. You listen to the second reading today. St. Paul said the same thing. I can't do that. And then he wrote letters that made up half of the New Testament. 
St. Peter, I, I don't think I can do that. I'm a sinful man. Jesus said, no, drop your nets. You're going to be, you're going to be fishing men. Follow me. God chose four fishermen today. He's going to choose an IRS agent, and he's going to choose a bunch of other people that are just, just normal guys in the church. He's going to choose 12 people, 11 of them that were good, and one that was terrible. And with those 11 faithful disciples, he brings the message of the gospel out to every corner of the world so that in Gaines, Louisiana this morning, we're still proclaiming the word 2,000 years later. If he can do that with 12 disciples, 11 good ones, what can he do with a church full of people? What can he do with us? But it starts with us being able to sit in that same gaze of the Lord today. The same Jesus that looked at Simon on a boat and called him. The same Jesus that saw past the tax collector and called Matthew. The same Jesus who died on the cross and looked upon the people that were, that were persecuting him and putting him through excruciating pain and suffering that were torturing him. He could sit and gaze at and forgive. That same Jesus looks at you and I today and says, follow me. Drop the false identity. Drop the net and follow me. Peter does it with urgency. Peter drops the nets and goes right away. Today at the end of Mass, after we receive communion, after we come before our Lord face to face, receive Him, He feeds us, strengthens us. The last words of the Mass that we're going to hear today is go forth and, and proclaim the Gospel. That's not a suggestion. That's not it's a good idea. That's not because it's Sunday. The proclamation of go forth and proclaim the Gospel is a command that we have come here to this church this morning, and when we leave, we leave as a different being, a different person who refocuses our life not on the things of the world, not on Joe Burrow winning a Super Bowl next week or Tom Brady retiring last week. But we leave this church today focused and living in the gaze of our God who sees beyond all the labels that we put ourselves in, all the false identities and idols that we have in our life, and sees us as His child. If we live that way, everything changes. The way we talk to the, 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 the kid checking us out at Walmart changes. The way we approach our, our, our co-workers changes. The way we raise our kids changes. The way that we, we, we get past suffering and death and mourn with Jesus changes. Today when we come before our Lord, the Lord looks at us with that same loving gaze that pierced the heart of, of Simon and brought about St. Peter. 
God looks at us with the same loving gaze to pierce our heart, to get past all of the false, all the BS, all the junk that we put up to try and hide. And he says, I'm here for you. I want to see you. And I want you to continue to look back at me. May today, as we go forth, that we go with a sense of urgency. Having been seen by God, may we, may we cascade that gaze to the rest of the world. And that way we become His disciples. We drop their nets and go out and fish for men.